Church. My name is Sylvia. I'll be reading from today's scripture in Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Please follow along in your Bible or on the screen. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed to him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the reading of God's word. All right, well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. Uh, for those that don't know, my name is Jay. I'm one of the staff here, and I'll be delivering uh, the word of God today. And, um, you know, it's crazy how it's finally rained after such a long time. Um, I found my umbrella in the car. I had left it there for like eight months, so it finally is going to be coming to good use. And, um, you know, it's also sad that it's getting colder because I don't like the fall, but I do love pumpkin spice lattes, and I've had those... Uh, four times this week, and it was delicious. Um, but I am, I am sad that it is getting a lot colder. Anyways, um, I don't know why I started off with like that. It's maybe making me feel a little bit more comfortable here up on stage. But uh, we are continuing on our series. Hello, are you guys awake? Okay, just making sure. Maybe it's because I, I, sorry guys, I'm, uh, maybe I haven't spoken in a while. I feel really weird, but anyways. Coming, uh, we're continuing on our sermon series through the book of our through the sermon series called the Christian Life, and uh, really the goal of this series is to really take a look at how the Bible um, views discipleship and, and how we might maybe incorrectly view discipleship. Uh, it's very easy for us to fall into a lifestyle, a religious lifestyle, where we have a simple acknowledgement of theological truths, uh, but where our actual actions and and, and the uh, the actions of our lives do not really match with what we acknowledge or what we believe is true. Uh, so we have discussed over the last four weeks uh, just really the type of life um, where we kind of check off our religious duties, uh, but that is not what the Bible calls for. So the first two weeks, uh, we discussed the areas that are dependent on things outside of us. Uh, specifically, we talked about the need of total dependence upon uh, the priestly work of Jesus Christ. And then we talked about really our dependence upon God through prayer. In the last two weeks, uh, Pastor Eugene has really discussed the importance of, of really being formed or transformed uh, through uh, just the word of God and, and just through different avenues in which uh, spiritual formations causes us to become more and more like Christ. And now the next two weeks, we're going to be discussing uh, just kind of aspects on how we need to respond 
uh, to the gospel in our lives. And, and, and we're going to discuss uh, two different topics. Obviously, we don't have the time to discuss all the different ways that we ought to respond. Uh, but for this week, we're going to talk about uh, how we respond in humble service to one another. Now, uh, I think a lot of times when we think about this, uh, this phrase or this term, like serving one another, oftentimes, especially if you've grown up in the church, what comes to mind is this idea of volunteering for your church. This idea of giving up your time, uh, giving up uh, your energy uh, to allow and to help an institution or an organization stay afloat, right? And, and I think for a church, because of the fact that it is the way it is structured in a way, we do require a lot of volunteers. We do require a lot of people to give up their time and energy uh, to be able to allow us to gather together and to have, uh, you, know, you know, worship service. I mean, the fact that we have our worship team come up here and lead us in songs is all because they volunteer their time and their energy. Uh, but I, I think when we really think about what the Bible is, is talking about in terms of humbly serving one another, it's more than just our volunteer time and our volunteer energy. Uh, it's really describing uh, not just what we ought to do, but it's, it's the manner in which how we ought to serve one another. And, and I think that is more important than what to do. Now, granted, if you are willing to serve in the church, great. We'd love to have you guys serve. But this message is not going to be a, a call to arms. Okay? I, some of you guys, I'm probably thinking like, oh, great, this is, you know, Jay's going to make us serve and sign up for things. And there's going to be things that you know, people are trying to recruit people to their teams. It's, it's not that. It, it's, it's really this idea that our Christian life is not dictated by just one day a week, but that our Christian life uh, is, is really the, um, the construction or, or the gathering of, of every aspect and every avenue in which we interact with one another and how we can uh, really live out uh, the, the humility and the, um, the, 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 the persona of Christ that has affected us to serve those around us. So we're going to take some time to really think about what does it mean for us to consider others better than ourselves? What is Apostle Paul talking about? What does it really mean for us to not uh, seek out our own selfish ambition or our own conceit, but to consider others better than ourselves? And we're going to look at the example of Christ, who he did not count equality as something to be grasped, equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so today we're going to look at uh, the Christian life is marked by our willingness to actively and humbly serve those that are around us. To actively and humbly consider those need, the needs of those people around us as greater than our own needs. That in Jesus we have a Savior and a King who not only directs us to serve others, but who is ultimately the, the, the lead example of such service. And then we're going to look at so really the heart of service that the call to serve one another it begins with our ability to humble ourselves. Then we're going to look at how humble service or a compassion towards others uh, is, is a great benefit to ourselves and to our community. And then we're going to look at some practical applications of how we can achieve this. So the first point is this, that service is re rooted in humility and compassion towards the people around us. Now, when we look at the life of Jesus, uh, we can say that a humble service is one of the main markers of his ministry. Now, what Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, which is, you know, beautifully written uh, and probably one of the greatest indicators of, um, you know, the, 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 
the humility of Jesus Christ, what Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2 is, is really just a description of how Jesus interacted with others in his ministry throughout the Gospels. So in Luke chapter 22, we have an event where the disciples of Jesus Christ are sitting around and they're kind of debating and they're, they're figuring out the hierarchy of the 12 disciples. They're trying to figure out, well, who is the greatest among us? And in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 24 through 27, it says this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he, which is Jesus, said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Now, an interesting thing about this passage, there's certain things that we need to break down here. Number one, as the disciples are disputing and, and arguing with one another to see who is the greatest, who is like, you know, the, the, what's the pecking order here in the discipleship group, uh, Jesus interjects and he says, hey, this is, this is how the world operates. The kings and the, of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And those who have authority, they take advantage of that authority and they, they call themselves benefactors. He says, but, but you, it is not this way with you as followers of me. Rather, he says, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. And so he says, what, what the world tells you is that the one who reclines at the table is greater and the one who is serving is lesser. But that is not true. And the reason why he says that is not true, he says, but I am among you as the one who serves. What Christ is telling the disciples is, me, the son of God, I have come to serve. Right? And, and uh, Matthew's account of the same event um, what he says is, even as the Son of Man, this is not written in Luke, but it's written in Matthew. Jesus describes as, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what Jesus does is he sets a standard for his disciples. That if you are to follow me, the calling for you is not to be seeking authority and power and positions so that you will be served and you will have a great benefit. As a disciple, what you ought to seek is service of others. To lay your life down just as I have laid my life down. And what Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2 is just a reiteration of this interaction. That Apostle Paul is calling all believers and all disciples of, of Jesus to not do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to count others more significant than yourselves. And I think this, this command to, to, not uh, to do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit is a very difficult command and a very difficult statement. Why? Because we are, we are set by nature to seek selfishly. And we are very conceited. We are set to think very highly of ourselves 
to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt while thinking maybe not as highly of the people around us. How many times have you uh, said to yourself, man, at least I'm not like that person, you know? Like, I know I'm, I know I, I, I'm, I'm bad, I know I suck, but at least I'm not as sucky as this person, you know? I, mean, I, I say that all the time. I mean, ha have you ever looked in the mirror and thought like, hey, I look good. Like, I look good today. And then you see a picture that someone else posts of you and you're like, what the heck, why'd you post that picture? That's like the worst angle possible, right? And the reality is, is that picture that was posted, that's probably how people see you, okay? Um, the picture, the, what you see in the mirror, that's not reality, okay? Now, there was an experiment done where, um, uh, you know, some, some experimenters, they got a bunch of people. Uh, they had three photos. One photo was a regular picture of them. Uh, a second photo, they photoshopped it to make themselves look a little bit better. And the third photo, they photoshopped it to make them look a little bit uglier, and they got all the people and they said, pick the photo that is unaltered. The vast majority, over 90% of the people in the experiment, they chose the photo that was um, made to make them look uglier. They said, oh, that one's photoshopped. And then the photo that was not photoshopped, they said, oh, that one is also photoshopped. And the photo that was photoshopped to make them look nicer, like prettier or more handsome, they said, oh, this is the natural photo. And, and what, the, uh, what psychologists call this is the self-enhancement theory, that we as human beings, we naturally tend to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt in majority of instances. Now, um, lately I've been seeing a lot of people upload uh, Instagram stories of them at concerts. You know, and right when I see a concert, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm done, right? But I wish, like, I, the, the thing is, like, do people actually listen to the video first before they upload it? Because, you know, you hear the, the, the performers and then you hear, ah, the singing along of your own voice. And then if they actually heard it, I would think they would not post it. Because we think we are a lot better at singing than we actually are. Um, I never listened to my recordings of my sermons because I did a few times. I'm like, who, whose squeaky voice is that? You know, because right now I feel like I sound like Darth Vader to you guys. But... It's probably like, you know, like, oh, you know, like, it, because we, we don't, we have a very high view of our own selves, right? We think we're a lot better. We think we are a lot more clever. We, we think we sound a lot better than we actually are. Now, I think when we think about our own views uh, of ourselves, and this is what Apostle Paul is talking about, he's saying, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others more significant than you are. And, and with this really kind of high view that we have of ourselves, we feel justified and entitled to be served instead of serving others. We feel uh, justified and entitled to be able to, on the receiving end of a lot of things instead of giving of ourselves to those that are in need. And thus what Paul is commanding here for us to, is really to fight our natural tendency <clears throat> to think that we are better than others and instead that we must have the mind of Christ who though was in the form of God did not count equality with God something to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. 
And, and this is really just kind of the, uh, the main thrust and, and the main foundation of, of why we are called to humbly serve others. Because what we have in Jesus is a savior and a king who exemplifies this very model for us. And not only does he model it for us, but we greatly benefit from this service. We receive salvation and eternal life. See, from this passage, what we have to kind of understand is number of, of several things. But number one, it says that Jesus Christ, who was in the form of God. So number one, what we see is that he is God. It, it, the authority and the position that he has is one of the ruler of the universe, the one in which we were created by his, through his word. So who was in the form of God, he says, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. Now, when I first would read this passage, uh, the word grasped in, in English language is kind of oftentimes refers to um, like comprehension. So I was always wondering like, well, what does this passage mean? That Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality. Like he didn't comprehend what it meant to be equal with God. Um, so it, that always kind of confused me. Uh, but upon further study, this word grasp uh, in the Greek is, is, was used more of in, in like to describe um, pirates or to describe um, like, you know, uh, spoils of war. The victor would grasp or seize their spoils. Uh, they, would, they would take and, and, and just uh, hoard for themselves the things that they felt entitled to, right? Because if you're a pirate and you overtake a ship, what are you entitled to? You're entitled to the pirate's booty, right? All the spoils. If you are in a war and you are the victor or you are the victorious king or nation, what are you entitled to? You are entitled to seize everything of that nation in which you have defeated. And, and that's what the word grasp is describing, so when Apostle Paul says that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, basically he was God, he did not count equality a thing to be grasped. What Apostle Paul is describing is that even though Jesus was God, he did not feel entitled to seize upon himself all the rights that he deserved as the creator of the universe. He did not seize for himself all the privilege that he could take as the one who created all things. Because if I was Jesus, and I'm really glad I'm not, if I was Jesus and I came down to this earth, I'd be like, woo, hey, give me the biggest palace. I'm gonna, I'm gonna seize that for myself. Uh, give, me, give me all the, uh, you know, the high-ranking officials, all the smart people, come with me. You know, and like, how dare you try to crucify me? Don't you know who I am? I'm Jesus. You know, I mean, that's, that's the type of seizing that normally we would do as human beings. But Jesus did quite the opposite. He emptied himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in that service, uh, an act of great humility, what we receive is the benefit of eternal life. And based on that foundation of Christ's humble service to his people, Apostle Paul calls us to in the same way not consider ourselves better than those around us. So service is not based on just purely duty and action. Service begins with the very heart of a, a humility unlike anything taught by this world. Humility 
exemplified by the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. Now the question is, leading to our second point, well then what are the benefits of this service? What is the benefit for us as believers, as as disciples, or even as non-believers, what are the benefits of humbly serving those around us while considering their need above our own? Now, first of all, we must understand that uh, the biblical calling to, to serve others and to consider others better than ourselves does not mean that we are being called to be pushovers. We are not being called to be doormats. Uh, you know, as, as Christians, we're not called to be people who are just, you know, taken advantage of. That's not what, uh, you know, this, this passage is referring to. We must remember that Jesus, though he was described as meek and gentle, um, it does not describe him as weak and a pushover. I mean, he was a, he was a bold individual. You know, I mean, he was like, he was flipping tables. He was calling out Pharisees. He was calling out leaders. So he, there, was, there was strength and boldness there. But in, in different aspects of service, he was willing to humble himself by emptying himself to the point of death. So what this really, um, this call to serve others really is referring to is that in service, when we actually ref, uh, humble ourselves and consider others better than ourselves, what we are doing is that we are showing that we have a compassion for the needs of others. That we are acknowledging that life is not purely just about ourselves, but that God has created us to live in community to serve others the way he has served us. And by doing so, by serving others and by showing a true compassion and desire for the needs of others, that we actually benefit, that is actually good for us. Now, there are a number of biological researches done on the human brain and how compassion and how service affects our brains. Now, the brain, um, while we are doing compassionate acts of service, uh, actually lights up the reward region. The same part of the brain that lights up uh, when we're about to uh, do something fun or do something that we really enjoy or eat something that is delicious um, when we actually show service and compassion to those that are in need, that same region lights up. Right, so if you sit down and you're about to eat like a delicious bowl of pho on a rainy day, you're, you know, there's boom, it's like you're, you're ready, right? When you're about to go and maybe play a sport uh, or an acti- do an activity that you really enjoy, that region of your brain lights up. You know, you get a little shot of dopamine there. And that same way when you're actually looking at the needs of those around you and, and humbly and actively serving them, the, the brain lights up in that same region. And when I think about just, you know, in my short 42 years of life, some of the moments that I really reflect upon as, as um, really joyous and, and, and momentous uh, times of my life, it's really these times of, of you know, catering and, 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 and serving the people around me. You know, whether it's doing vacation Bible schools for young children in, in rural areas or, uh, you, know, you know, I spend some time, uh, you know, on missions in the Amazon jungle. And, you know, like, there's, there's nothing um, cool about that. Like, you know, you're sleeping with bugs and you're getting bit up. But just the time spent serving people that are in need is, is a moment where I really think about uh, and it just, just lights up my thoughts because of the joy that it was able to bring me. And what Apostle Paul says is this type of service brings him great joy, him just watching the church in Philippi being united in mind and spirit and love. 
Right, so it starts off in chapter two, it says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Apostle Paul not only receives joy from serving others, but he receives joy by watching his church members serve one another. So not only is this type of service beneficial to you and to me, it's also beneficial to the community. It's also beneficial to the people around us. Now, um, in my early 20s, um, I really loved watching MTV. And, um, you know, is MTV even on TV anymore? It was, no one watches TV anyways. But the shows that I really watched, I really loved watching, was uh, you know Real World and like and uh, Road Rules. You guys, am I? I'm dating myself. But but there was this, and then they kind of morphed into a show called Real World versus Road Rules, like challenge. Basically, there were teams, and then they would do like physical challenges, and then the one winner would win like a like five hundred thousand dollars. It was kind of like the show Survivor, except uh, a little bit more trashy, and. Um, and it was awesome because it was really about, like, survival of the fittest. You know, you, you, like, backstab each other. You know, you form teams and alliances until it no longer benefits you. And then you do all these things so that you would be the last person. You know, you make a lot of enemies. You make no friends. But at the end of it, you're rich if you win. And, uh, you know, Survivor is kind of like that. And, and we think, we assume that that is how the, uh, that is how the world should operate, right? The theory of evolution, survival of the fittest. Uh, maybe in the corporate world, you guys might have experienced this, right? Just this idea of climbing over one another for the sake of your own career advancement. And that if you're not shrewd, if you're not, uh, you know, kind of cutthroat, that you are not going to survive in this world. But it's actually quite the opposite. It, it, having a, an attitude which is more biblically based actually shows of, you know, examples of greater success. Uh, for those that uh, may not know, I'm taking this uh, Stanford business course, and it's really hard. But all, and it's about leadership. And all the principles of leadership that I'm learning and that they're talking about, these Stanford professors, it's, it's all biblical principles. It's like you need to be self-aware. You need to, you know, consider others better than you. You need to be humble. You need to serve. And I'm just like, what the heck? I could have just read the Bible. But, and, and so here's the thing. What Apostle Paul, when he's talking about joy of the joy that is brought to him when he sees other Christians being of the same mind and the same love and being a full accord, the same, uh, you know, same spirit, he then says the way you achieve that is to not do things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but to consider others better than yourselves. Now, Charles Darwin, the, the father of the theory of evolution, uh, you, would you would think or I would have thought that he would actually oppose this view. But he actually agrees with it. Charles Darwin taught, and, and he uses the word sympathy and not compassion and service, but he taught um, that those who displayed more sympathy towards other human beings, that their, uh, their, those communities actually uh, included, um, created a greater number of flourishment and um, greater number of offspring. That communities that actually employed more sympathy towards one another, that their communities flourished more than other communities, and that they would have more and more children. And, and you would think, well, that, that, 
wouldn't that be opposite of the theory of evolution, survival of the fittest? But no, he says that's not the case at all. So to paraphrase what Apostle Paul is saying here is this. When we actually live in community where we are considering the needs of others more important than our own needs, what we have is a community where not only is the person benefiting because of the service and compassion that they're exemplifying, but the entire community benefits. Because now we have a group of people who are not living according to their own desires and, 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 and seeing to kind of just accomplish their own needs, but they are looking at the greater good. Now, uh, that's just really just the kind of basis and foundation uh, of now then, well, what does it look like in, in reality of the Christian life? Right? And so here are some practical applications that I have for you. Um, number one, <clears throat> well, before we get into that, uh, I, I think one of the, I listened to a podcast recently, me and my wife, and um, I forgot what it was. I don't know the title, so sorry, there's no reference there. But he was talking about the mental health of, of young people and how a lot of young people uh, are struggling with mental health and probably a lot of us as well, right? And one of the uh, diagnoses or one of the reasons why uh, this was the case was just because of the fact that we are so uh, saturated um, with, you know, internet and social media where we no longer have time to really be alone and to really consider uh, just not being distracted, right? And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, like, when I was bored, I was bored. I, there was nothing I could do. You know, I, there was a times, I mean, there were times where I was just bored a lot. So you, you know what I had to do? I had to read books. Um, or I had to go look for my friends. And when I mean look for my friends, I mean I had to physically go outside and look for my friends. And then I had to interact with people. Uh, and, and by doing so, it allowed me to think outside of myself and actually you know, think about other people. Now, um, that is not the case. I'm never bored. I'm, if there's a free moment of time, like I'm on my phone trying to entertain myself. Um, it, when I'm driving, I'm at a red light. You know what I'm doing? Boop. And I'm just looking, you know, and then the light turns green and then I go. Uh, I went camping recently with my, my kids and um, there was no, it, it's, it's interesting because it's literally like 15 minutes from my house, but there was no reception. I was so bored. I didn't know what to do. I, I asked my kids. We were sitting on the campfire. I was like, hey, um, what do you guys want to do? They're like, let's play games. And all the games they suggested, I was like, I don't want to play that. You know, and, then I, and then they're like, oh, tell us a story. I was like, I don't want to tell you a story. I was like, you tell me a story. The worst decision of my life. <laughs> this is recorded, but hey, my kids aren't going to listen to this. This is the story sucked. Right? It was so bad. But, I mean, I got to know them a little bit more. Right? And, and it was... It was a fun time in the sense that we got to spend time together, but the story was horrible. But I, I was thinking about this. I was like, it, but if we had internet and we had our phones and our iPads, what would we have been doing? We would have just been online just distracting ourselves. We would not have been able to actually spend the quality of time that we spent. And, and, and I'm getting to my point here. And the reason why this is important is this. Um, when we are so distracted and when we have so many devices and so many things to distract us, whether it's entertainment, whether it's the work email that we need to read, or whether it's the work email that we need to send, or whatever the, you know, whatever the case is, we have very little opportunity and time to consider the needs of the people around us. We become so focused only on ourselves 
that we become saturated with just our own needs and we become the main character of our own little show. Now, in that podcast that I listened to, the reason why uh, I believe that these young people are having such a difficult time with their mental health and and struggling in, in such an internalized way is because there is no real avenues for them to interact and think about the needs of the people around them. Because like I stated in the, in the beginning, when we have compassion and when we show service to others, the reward region of our brain lights up. We've cut that out. So the first practical application I can give you is this. Slow down your lives. Slow down your lives. Be okay with being bored. Be okay with not being entertained. Be okay with having dead space in your your life. That in those moments, oftentimes what we do is we are able to see other people for who they are. When we are always in a rush and when we're always in a hurry to entertain ourselves or to get things done, we will be unable to see the needs of those around us. Now, in 1973, a bunch of psychologists or psychologists named uh, John Darley and Daniel Brunson, uh, Batson, they conducted a study they basically got uh, a group of people, and they divide them up into thirds. And they said, hey, we want you to, um, you know, do this experiment with us. And so they said, we need you to, uh, you know, finish this experiment. So a third of the group of people, they said, all right, hey, uh, you've done the first half of the portion. Now I need you to go to the next building and finish the second half of the portion. Uh, you got some time, so just get, get there when you can. Uh, the second group of people, he said, hey, um, you finished the first, first leg of the thing. Now I need you to get to the building, and you need to hurry because, you know, we need to finish this as soon as possible. And the third group, they said, all right, you guys are done with the first portion. You need to get to the second building. You're running late. The assistant is waiting for you. Hurry up and get there. Now, as they were um, moving to the second building, they had an actor who was, like, doubled over in pain. Okay. Um, In the first group, where there was no urgency to get to the building, 63% of the people stopped to help this individual. In the second group, where there was a medium sense of urgency, only 40% stopped to help this individual. In the third group, where there was a a high urgency to get there quickly, only 10% stopped to help this individual. And some of them even just stepped over the person to get to where they're going. Now, there were no ties to their religious affiliation, their ethnic background, or, or, you know, their profession or anything. The only thing that mattered was the urgency in which they had to get to the building. And I think for us, we are living now in a state of being where we're constantly moving so quickly and so urgently that we are unable to see the needs of the people around us. So I think, number one, let's slow down. Let's be okay in the stillness of boredom. Let's consider the fact that getting certain things done is not going to be as important as seeing and and, and the needs of the people around us. Because, you know, sometimes um, their burdens seem like just a roadblock for you to get all your things done, right? Sometimes seeing the drama or the messiness of the people around you, you're like, whoa, stay away because I got a lot of things to do. It's okay for them to interject for us to stop and see their need. That's really what it means for us to consider others more significant than ourselves. Second, 
we must see other people as humans created in the image of God. Because right now, I think we live in a time where it's so easy for us to dehumanize people. And um, I do this all the time. Okay? What I mean by that is when I interact with people, I'm interacting with people mostly on my phone. So, I, so the people on my social media, they become a caricature of who they really are. But in my mind, that's who they are. Um, you know, I have a lot of people that I follow that are pastors, right? And um, a lot of pastors at a certain age range, uh, a lot of their social media presence is just merely them self-promoting themselves. You know, like, you know what I'm talking about? You guys, you, I don't, I don't want to explain further because then it might, it, it might give away who I'm talking about. But there's this person that I follow and he's just like that. And I'm always thinking like, man, this guy is so whack, you know? He, he just becomes the caricature of what I see on social media. But when I actually have a human interaction with him, which is very far and few, but like human interaction, I'm like, hey, he's not that bad. He's not that bad. He's actually a good guy. He actually told me he was praying for me and my family, and I felt so guilty. I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh shoot, I was not doing that for you. Um, and, and that's what I mean. Like we need to stop dehumanizing people. And when we actually spend time getting to know them or interacting with them, we are able to see that they are human beings created in the image of God that requires us to give them the same amount of respect that God has shown us. And the last, last practical application is this, um, that this act of humble service can and should be practiced both inside and outside the church. I know in a uh, message like this, oftentimes it seems like a call to arms that I'm here and then like application, hey, volunteer for our worship team, volunteer for our sound team, volunteer for our education ministry. Uh, that's great if, you, if you're called to do that, but I, I don't think it ends there. And that's not the main thrust of what humble service is that, that, you know, that the Bible is talking about. It's how can you in your life humbly serve the people that you interact with on a day-to-day -day basis? Whether it's your family, whether it's your work, whether it's, uh, you know, your Bible study group or your community group. Those are all valid ways for us to serve the people that we interact with. I think a lot of times we view people who give up their times to the church as people who are elevated spiritually. And that we are somehow like less than them. Um, but that's not the case at all. There are different ways that we can serve and there's different avenues that we ought to serve. And church is one way, not the only way. Now, granted, if you do want to serve, please do. But I think it's much better for us to think about Monday through Saturday and how we can interact and, and humanize and serve and love the people around us. And that is just as maybe more important than the hour or two hours that you give here on Sunday. So with that, help us to really consider not seeing just our own needs as the very thing that we need to live for, but to consider the needs of the people around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, that even though you, being God, had the authority and the right to seize and take advantage of all the privilege and all the, uh, the things of this world, instead, you emptied yourself to the point of obedience and death on a cross so that we may receive the benefit of salvation and eternal life. 
So just as you thought of us, just as you considered our needs, help us now return uh, and consider the needs of the people around us, really seeing them for who they are, seeing them for uh, your creation, uh, seeing their need, and applying our time and our energy and our efforts uh, to really serve them as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.